Chesed, Porto Liberum, Gateway of Books. Elementa, Root of the World. Dalet, Liporor, the Emperor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tarot Esoterica, Episode 12. My name is Laurel Stewart, and I'm branded online as Loracular. This podcast series is just me talking about basic occult symbolism and metaphysical philosophy with tarot cards in mind. Today's episode is some commentary on Chapter 4, the Tetragrammaton of the New Translation of Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic by Elvis Levi, and what Levi has to say about the Emperor as part of the major Arcana later in the book. For those who have been following along with previous episodes, you know that thus far in this book, Levi has talked a lot about esoteric principles centering around one monad, two binaries, three trinaries, leading up to this chapter about four quaternaries. Episode 4 of Tarot Esoterica is where I provided my own personal understanding of the classical four elements and other expressions of the quaternary principle, which Levi begins this chapter by describing as, quote, the first square and perfect number, source of all numerical combinations, and the principle behind all forms, end quote. This first set of associations he makes for the quaternary principle are what he calls the philosophical operations of the human spirit, and they are affirmation, negation, discussion, and solution. Affirmation and negation are linguistic terms for how grammar encodes positive and negative polarity. I am affirmations pair with I am not negation. Esoterically, that's yod fire and water hay. Discussion is the act or process of talking about something in order to reach a solution. Esoterically, that's air vow. And the created solution is esoterically final hay earth. Levi makes the statement that in almost all languages, the name of God is made of four letters. That is a metaphorical, not a literal truth. The Tetragrammaton is only one of a legion of names and titles given to God in Jewish religion and mysticism, and not all have four letters. God names in many languages have more than four letters. For me, the Tetragrammaton is the Kabbalistic way of imagining the classical four elements and the four aspects of yin-yang as a god name. Making something a god name is to ascribe divinity to it and to offer it reverence. Reverence matters when it comes to how human brains shape beliefs and how beliefs shape human reality. Whether or not you practice a religion, practicing some form of reverence will help you form positive beliefs. Put into this context, affirmation is is yang and yod and fire. Negation is yin and hay and water. Discussion is yang yin and vow and air. Solution is yin yang and final hay and earth. When it comes to Western occult philosophy and esoteric tarot, just about every quaternary presented, every grouping of four symbols or ideas maps to the four elements and yin yang and the tetragrammaton this way which is why I've been verbally reinforcing the associations in these podcasts. Don't take negation or yin is bad. Yang exists, yin exists. They are a polarity, but not a dualism. There is no inherent good or bad to either side of yan and yin. On the topic of duality versus polarity, though, Levi describes evil as, quote, 
an imperfect mirage of light be held in shadow, of the name of the devil or evil being the name of God in reverse. End quote. I will be talking a lot about evil in the context of esoteric tarot in a later podcast devoted specifically to the Kabbalistic Klipo when I finish with Doctrine and Rituals. Until then, I'm going to refrain from much comment on that subtopic. Levi says the Tetragrammaton expresses God in humanity and humanity in God, which to me is really well pictured the way the Taiji, the traditional yin-yang symbol, is composed of a white half containing a dot of black and the black half containing a dot of white. From there, Levi goes on to talk about the symbol of the cross. Now, the symbol of the cross is sacred in so many spiritual and metaphysical paradigms, and it is another expression of the quaternary principle. Levi describes a cross as unity composed of two lines which intersect and divide each other. The four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west, can cap the tips of the cross. They are another quaternary, and when crosses and anything representing all four directions appear in esoteric tarot, a symbolic reference to the quaternary principle to the tetragrammaton is intended by the tarot author. In this chapter, Levi discusses at length his belief in the tetragrammaton as an expression of the magical agent, the unifying force. He pulls out a lot of other names, for the magical agent from different esoteric and spiritual systems. I'm going to quickly go through them because you will see the terms show up in a lot of esoteric tarot texts. INRI is pulled from Christian mythology and mysticism. It stands for Jesus, Nazarethus, Rex Dorum, or Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In Christian mythology, these words were posted by the Romans as a placard above the Christ's head when he was crucified. I-N-R-I was used as a word of power in a lot of medieval and Renaissance occultism. It appears on a lot of their old talismans. Azote I mentioned last week, is an alchemical term for the animating spirit hidden in all matter that makes transmutation possible. Ether is a now debunked substance through which light waves were theorized to be carried until the results of the Michelson-Morley experiment in 1887, but it was still part of the established scientific paradigm when Doctrine and Rituals of High Magic was written. Ode, or odic energy, is a term for vital energy or life force coined by Baron Karl von Reichenbach in 1845. Mesmer's term for the same force was magnetic fluid. Now Nowadays, we are more likely to call this mysterious energy or fluid prana, chi, or simply life force, but the soul of the world was a popular term for it in Renaissance Europe, and you will see the phrase extensively in Paolo Coelho's amazing novel, The Alchemist. So there you have it. The magical agent and a lot of other esoteric terms, both Eastern and Western, correspond to the concept of life force. I personally use the term life force when talking or writing about it. It's inclusive. To Elephas Levi, life force is metaphorically the fourth emanation of creation, a.k.a. the Kabbalistic Sephiroth Cheset. He waxes poetically about the impregnation of the earth by the sun, reciting passages from the Emerald Tablet. The Emerald Tablet is a very short and cryptic hermetic text that is part of the core philosophical paradigm of Kabbalah with a C. Levi presents the magical agent or life force as 
a divine light that penetrates the world as yod fire, enlivens the world as hay water, fertilizes the world as vow air, and then its final hay earth determines everything produced on the world. The world can be framed as both the planet as macrocosm and the individual human psyche as microcosm. Think as above, so below, as within, so without. And the yang-yin of this divine light, this life force, this magical agent, are the forces of projection and attraction, pushing out as yang and pulling in as yin. Levi, like so many others, teaches that this ineffable binary turned trinary turned quaternary life force is within everything that exists as concepts and matter. Levi specifically professes that after human beings have mastered true understanding of the binary, trinary, and quaternary principles, they can then learn to channel and control the expressions of these principles within themselves. I believe this too, and I believe esoteric tarot decks are a wonderful tool in developing knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of these principles. This is a personal truth that Levi and I both share. People can use the binary, trinary, and quaternary principles in intentional and creative ways to accomplish the alchemical great work. Acts of the great work are depicted in the esoteric tarot in cards like the magician, strength, temperance. In fact, over and over, the tarot, especially the major arcana, depict figures symbolically mastering binary, trinary, and quaternary forces and becoming empowered via mastery. Now, becoming someone who truly masters these principles as they express themselves within our bodies and psyches is something very few people ever accomplish, Levi warns. In the previous chapter, he had basically said that most humans really never overcome the dark darker, more selfish, or more fearful parts of themselves, and occultists who don't overcome their inner demons and character flaws end up getting train wrecked by them. I believe this too. I believe that there are layers upon layers of work to do within our individual human psyches, beliefs, actions, and attitudes to create harmony of the polar and elemental forces. I think it takes a lifetime of exploration and lesson learning and habits and struggles and that practice makes better, but practice never makes perfect, not during a human lifespan. I think humans are imperfect by design. Levi seems to be suggesting this as well. He goes on to talk about why it's a bad idea to reveal occult knowledge, especially how to master everything the tetragram embodies or symbolizes. My personal truth on this topic is that the more we modern internet-loving occultists talk openly about what the Western occult tradition really is and really isn't, the better. There's way too much misinformation out there, and misinformation shapes human belief in unhelpful and even dangerous ways. However, keeping in mind that affirmation, negation, discussion and solution are themselves an expression of the fundamental quaternary principle is really important when chatting on social media. Levi continues his narrative in how the bi, tri, and quad principles manifest using the biblical book of Revelations and then mentions the pentacle of Ezekiel, which isn't pictured in this chapter but would be recognizable to tarot readers in appearing in the center of the wheel on the Rider-Waite-Smith Wheel of Fortune card. After 
that, Levi brings up more ways the quaternary principle is expressed in occultism, going through alchemy, the Kabbalistic tree of life, the Kerubic beast, and finally, the actual classical elements, making it clear that in magical science, the four elements represent concepts beyond the mundane substances of fire, water, air, and earth. Now, he juxtaposes the associations of the four principles making earth masculine, aka yang, and fire feminine, aka yin. I am the product of my own long occult scholarship and practice, so I don't see this as a metaphorical truth. And it doesn't make it that way into any esoteric tarot that I have personally used. I can't tell you if this was just him throwing shade at his readers or part of his personal paradigm. I think it was intentional shade going back to his many admonishments about keeping occult secrets as secrets from the uninitiated. Can someone create their own tradition or own tarot decks where the elements map to the other quad principles this way with fire as yin and earth as yang? It just isn't convention. And conventions as collective beliefs have their own kind of power. But that is a topic for another day. Levi then starts to talk about created intelligences, spirits and demons, and mentions specifically sylphs, undines, gnomes, and salamanders in ways that are outside the scope of this podcast. My personal truth about spirits in general is that spirits are egregores or thought forms and can be as helpful as dangerous, good or evil, as we individually and collectively believe they are. Just for quick reference, though, sylphs are conventionally associated with air, undines with water, gnomes with earth, and salamanders with fire. Do with that as you please. So where in all this lore about the four elements, the tetragrammaton, and other esoteric foursomes do we get to the emperor in the major account? I seem like a big leap, especially that since again, the card itself isn't directly talked about in this chapter. So once again, I went del. I think I mentioned in the last episode that in Chapter 12, The Great War. Levi ascribes the moon to the empress and the sun to the emperor. This is important because at the beginning of this chapter, Levi says, and I quote, the philosophical gold in religion is absolute and supreme reason. In philosophy, it is truth. In visible nature, it is the sun. In the underground and mineral world, it is the most perfect and pure gold. It is for this reason that we call the search for the great work, the search for the absolute, and that we even designate this work by the name labor of the sun. End quote. So the emperor card to Levi represents the yang of gold, sun, kings, and command of the tetragrammaton. Therefore, an emperor to Levi is an adept who has achieved sovereign will and thus become king of his world, his great work. In chapter 17, as he goes through the list of trumps there, he calls the emperor the dominator and describes it as the day that was the birth of Cain and favorable for unjust and tyrannical undertakes, which is a warning about power leading to corruption and fascism. Remember that Levi was a very politically anti-fascist and got thrown into jail as a young man over his progressive in context 
political activities several times. But beyond that warning about how easily emperors can twist into dominators, Levi is very positive about this card as a key of wisdom. In chapter 22, he links the emperor card to the Hebrew letter Dalet and Dalet to initiation, power, the tetragrammaton, and the quaternary principle. He visualizes the emperor as, quote, a sovereign whose body represents a right triangle, the legs across, the image of Athenor of the philosophers, end quote. And Athenor was a furnace used in alchemy to provide uniform and constant heat. And a triangle combined with a cross that way forms the symbol for alchemical sulfur and symbolizes spiritual dominion of matter. In the Worth Tarot, based on Levi's notes outside of doctrine and rituals itself, the emperor further sits on a stone cube holding a golden scepter with a tip shaped like a lotus flower with the same red rose like worst magician directly underneath it. In later versions of the card, the cube has a black eagle in a very heraldic style. But in the earlier 1887 version, the eagle is drawn differently and has what I think is a scarab beetle in the middle of its chest. Lotus wands and scarab beetles got worked into later esoteric decks, especially by Crowley, to convey ideas Levi presented in this chapter. And that concludes this episode of Tarot Esoterica. If you really like Tarot Esoterica so far, please let me know and spread that praise on your social media platforms. I don't accept tarot clients at this time, and everything I write is free to read and even borrow, as long as you tribute me as the original author. You can also catch me on Twitter at tlaracular, but be warned, on Twitter I get opinionated, goofy, and unapologetically political. Until next time, celebrate life passionately and practice self-mastery. May the world do good unto you, and may you do good unto the world.